Hi, this is The Gathering Church in Windsor, Ontario, and I'm Pastor Garth Lino. Welcome to our podcast. So now, would you turn in your Bibles or your Bible app to Galatians chapter 6, please? You will find Galatians in the New Testament, and the, the slide on the screen now should help you find it if you're fairly new to the Bible. And I need you to do one more thing before we actually get started. Would you put your right hand up like this, please? Grab a hold of your seatbelt and pull it around and click it, okay? Say click it. Click it. Okay, you're buckled in. I need you to be buckled in because we're, we're dealing with the whole chapter, Galatians chapter 6, and we're going to be going down the Sermon Highway about 150 kilometers an hour. So I need you to be buckled in, and I need you to be holding on tight. Are you holding on tight? Okay. My adult children often tease their mother without mercy when she says goodbye to them after a visit in our home. We may have enjoyed the afternoon together or shared a meal together, and like all decent Canadian families, we start to say goodbye 10 or 15 minutes before they leave. And then when we walk to the door, we spend another 5 or 10 minutes at the front door, uh, dutifully hugging and kissing everyone and giving extra kisses and extra hugs to the grandkids, of course. You know how that goes. And then all of us say goodbye. All of us, that is, except my wife, Patty. Predictably, Patty will step out onto the porch with one more thing that she wants to say before they leave. Or else she follows them down the driveway as they're urgently trying to get the kids who are on meltdown mode into the car and home to bed. Oh, one more thing. She's got one more thing she wants to say, one more thing she wants to share, or one more little piece of advice, grandma's advice. One more thing. And that's when it starts. Mom, really? Do you have one more thing? Again, you always have one more thing. Why can't you just say goodbye like normal mothers? <laughs> Mom, just say goodbye. we got to go. You always have one more thing. And, uh, and we laugh. They tease her without mercy. But as Paul comes to the end of his letter, Galatians chapter 6 is the end of the epistle. As he comes to the end of his letter, you get the feeling that he still has a few more things he wants to share with us. Galatians 6 is the conclusion. He's wrapping up. In closing his letter, now I think his mind is filled with one more thing that he wants to say to his church in Galatia before uh, uh, he closes this dispatch. And from two weeks ago, when Pastor Phil preached on the latter half of Galatians chapter 5, you may remember that Paul was talking there about keeping in step with the Spirit and living a life of love. Remember that? It was two weeks ago. Keeping in step with the Spirit and living a life of love. And so now, as he opens chapter 6, he's really adding to that idea of keeping in step with the Spirit. And so he says, keep in step with the Spirit by restoring those who have sinned. Verse 1, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual 
should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Oh, and keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. So men had come from Jerusalem to Galatia to persuade these baby Christians that they needed to come to faith in Jesus Christ and, they added, you have to be circumcised. And also you have to follow these Old Testament rules and regulations, these traditions from the Old Testament in order to be true Christians. So they were adding to the gospel of Jesus Christ and Paul refers to them really as false teachers. Because it's Jesus plus nothing. That is the gospel, the true gospel of of, of God. And so here in these last two chapters of the book of Galatians, chapters 5 and chapter 6, you have a subtle contrast, ongoing subtle contrast, between living the Christian life with works and living the Christian life by grace. There's this ongoing contrast between living the Christian life by human effort and living the Christian life in the power of the Holy Spirit. The false teachers from Jerusalem were confused. They thought that you had to, you had to come to faith in Jesus Christ and add circumcision and add works of the law. They were teaching salvation by faith plus human works. But salvation by works causes one to live according to the flesh. Salvation by grace causes one to live by the Spirit, or at least it should. And, and, and the point of Galatians 6 verse 1 is that, in, at least in this historical and theological construct, the point is that legalists always make things worse by adding the burden that they bring. They catch people in a transgression, they catch people in sin, and they add to the burden of that poor person by judging them harshly according to the Old Testament laws and regulations which they adhere to. Whereas those who are living by grace and living in the power of the Holy Spirit will seek to restore the person who has fallen. Does that make sense? Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual, as opposed to those who are living according to the law, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Yeah, for sure, we, we cannot just overlook brothers and sisters who have been caught up in a trap of sin. We can't just wink at that and pretend that it's not happening. We need to address it. We need to do something about it. But our aim should not be to expose people to public disgrace or or judge people or or condemn them or, or shun them, but rather to restore them in a spirit of gentleness. I mean, that's that's what the Scripture says. And this word restore is a very interesting word. In ancient Greek, this same word was often used to describe the the setting of a dislocated bone. And you know how painful that can be. I mean, if you you put your shoulder out or your your elbow or, or, or something like that, and you have to have a dislocated bone reallocated, whew, not only is it 
is it painful to have a dislocated bone, but it's, it's also extremely painful to have it put back into place. But the second pain, the pain of it being reset, is a healing pain, right? It restores that bone to its rightful place. And so when Paul uses this specific word in this specific passage, it, it means that we, we are to confront people who are caught up in sin, even though that will be painful for them, and likely painful for us. But our, our confronting must be aimed at restoration and renewal, not in public disgrace and judgment. You follow me? You get my drift? You're still awake? Okay. Keep in step with the Spirit by restoring those who have sinned. And one more thing, one more thing. Keep in step with the Spirit by bearing one another's burdens. Verse 2. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. I mean, Jesus is the ultimate burden bearer, right? And when a believer bears the burdens of another believer, he or she is the supreme imitation of Jesus to that believer. That's where, you know, we get the idea of, of, of having, I need Jesus with skin on. You know, don't just pray for me. Help me. Help me bear this. Help me deal with this. Come alongside of me. And so when we bring Galatians 5, 13, and 14, which we've already read and heard preached, alongside of Galatians 6, verse 2, it, it really shows us that to serve one another in love means to carry one another's burdens. So this brings the lofty concept of loving one another right down to earth, right where we live. It makes it very practical. You fulfill the law of Christ by bearing one another's burdens. And I'm really happy to know that there's a lot of that going on in our church. There's a lot of burden bearing taking place here, right? Mandy, you're shaking your head like, yeah, nodding your head, I mean. Yes, it happens here. People are bearing burdens and hopefully more to come. By the way, this has nothing to do with the message. We're field testing the use of sermon notes and the outlines. Are you finding that helpful to have a printed sermon outline or something on? How many of you are using the outline this morning? Don't be bashful. Okay, thank you. And there's, oh, and there's one more thing. Keep in step with the Spirit by curbing your pride. Hmm. Verse 3 says, For if anyone thinks he is something <laughs> when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Ooh, that's a little too close to home, Rick, for me. <laughs> we will not be able to bear each other's burdens unless we have a gospel-centered view of ourselves. Verses 3 to 5 essentially are a discussion about humility and pride. So if anyone thinks he is something, when he's really nothing, he'll be too self-important to be concerned about somebody else's burdens to do anything about it. It's all about me, myself, and I, my, my three favorite friends. You know, me, myself, and I. It's all about me. 
And when people, when Christians live like that, they're too self-important to, to be involved in the lives of other people and help them bear their burdens. So curb your pride. Verse 5 says that each one of us must bear his own load. But, but that's a different word than burden. Yeah, everybody's got to carry their own load. We, we've all got our own little knapsack of, of challenges and, and difficulties, right? But that does not excuse us from being involved in the burden-bearing, helping other Christians who are totally weighed down by such a heavy burden as this. You got it. You still have to be involved. Yeah, you got stuff going on. I know. I got stuff going on. We all got stuff going on. We all carry our own load, right? But beyond that, we still have a responsibility to bear the burdens of others. So don't be so self-important that you can't get involved with somebody else. Curb your pride. Better yet, take it to the cross and just nail it there. Oh, and one more thing. <laughs> Keep in step with the Spirit by supporting those who teach the Word of God. Verse 6 says, Let the one who's taught the Word share all good things with the one who teaches. How many of you here this morning grew up in a rural church, rural area, rural church? Quite a few. So you would know that it was pretty common years ago for members of the church to support the pastor or the pastor's family, to, to pay the pastor with, with a bit of beef or pork or chicken or corn or vegetables or whatever they, they had on the farm, they'd bring it and that would be, there you go, pastor, here's your salary for this week. Well, nowadays we support those who teach the Word of God by other means, and I'm quite happy about that. Paul would also tell Timothy in 1 Timothy 5, the elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honor, especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. For Scripture says, do not muzzle an ox while, he, while it's treading out the grain, and the worker deserves his wages. And so it's interesting how, you know, in the closing moments of his letter, as he's starting to say goodbye to us, Paul wants to make sure the church family understands their biblical obligation and their opportunity to support those who teach and preach the Word of God, the teaching elders of the church. One more thing. Keep in step with the Spirit by sowing to the Spirit. Verses 7 and 8. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked, for whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. You know, our, our capacity for self-deception is frightening. It really is. That's why we, we need one another. <laughs> That's why Galatians 6.1 is important. You know, if anybody's caught up in a sin, they might not even know because they're self-deceived and they need brothers and sisters to come around and say, hey, listen, Bobby Sue, you're going down the wrong track. Shape up. Let me help you. 
Let me bear your burden. Let me come alongside of you. Our capacity for self-deception is frightening. The story of Adam and Eve hiding behind their skimpy clothes and their even skimpier excuses is our common human experience, isn't it? We all make excuses. Yeah, but I... Yeah, but... Okay, but... One excuse after the other. And that's why Paul says, look, don't be deceived. God is not mocked. What you sow, you're going to reap. It's a divine, biblical principle that is never broken. You reap what you sow. Sow to the flesh, reap corruption. Sow to the spirit, reap eternal life. So what's it going to be? What's it going to be? In some sense, Paul has been working up to this moment in Galatians chapter 6 for five chapters. And now it's like this is the hour of decision. Are you going to sow to the flesh or are you going to sow to the spirit? Make up your mind. Are you going to sow to the sinful human Nature that is still alive and functioning inside of you? Are you going to give in to the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life? You're going to come to church on Sunday and live like an angel and then from Monday to Saturday you live like the devil? You're going to sow to the flesh? You're going to pretend along the way that you're really a Christian? Or are you going to sow to the Spirit and from the Spirit reap eternal life? What's it going to be? It's like this is the hour of decision. Make up your mind. What are you going to do? So please, sow to the Spirit. Sow to the Spirit, my brothers and sisters. Sow to the Spirit. Okay, I will if you tell me what that means. Well, what does it mean to sow to please the Spirit? If I knew what that was, I would do it, I think. So, so let's break it down. What does it mean? In this immediate context, I mean, you, you, you just need to read the word. Believe me, folks, just read the context. Just read the Bible. You don't need Joel Olstein or Joyce Meyer or Harry Carey to tell you what this means, you just have to read the word in context of the word. And in this immediate context, sowing to please the Spirit is well explained. You sow to please the Spirit by serving one another in love. You sow to please the Spirit by restoring those who've been trapped or caught up in sin. You, you, you please the Spirit. You sow to the Spirit when you carry the burdens of other people. You sow to the Spirit and make Him happy when you give generously to those who teach and preach the Word of God. You see? It's simple, right? Thank you. <laughs> Wasn't a trick question. <laughs> oh, and one more thing. I've got one more thing I need to tell you. Keep in step with the Spirit by doing good and not giving up. Ever feel like giving up? Yeah, me too. But Galatians 6 verse 9 says, Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we don't give up. 
So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially, especially do good to those who are of the household of faith. And so while we wait for Jesus to come back, we should be busy doing good. Whatever good God calls us to do, that we should do. The primary focus of this passage, however, is on serving those in the church, especially those who are in the household of faith, right? You see that? But never to the exclusion of other people who are in the community or at work or in our schools. But our, our, our first allegiance is to God as our Father, and, and after that, our first allegiance should be to the family of God. Okay, so now we're heading out the door. We're, we're getting ready to say goodbye. Still thinking about all the things we've talked about in, in Galatians. Our heads are spinning with this grace-filled conversation that we've had with Paul, and we're, we're excited And we look over our shoulder, and he's walking down the driveway behind us. You know, we all of a sudden get the idea that he still has, what? Say it with me. One more thing to tell us. We strap the kids in the back seat. We get in the front seat of the car, and he's like, roll the window down. Oh, no. Then he bends over, puts his hands on the windowsill, And now you really get the impression that there's still one more thing he wants to say. And this one more thing that he wants to share with us, the focus is on the cross of Jesus. The the, the attention here now is clearly on the gospel of God. So here it is. Say it with me. One more thing. Remember that a gospel-centered life is humble and not full of pride. Verse 12, those who are trying to force you to be circumcised, these guys from from Jerusalem who came down, these Judaizers, they were trying to force you to be circumcised. They want to look good to others. They only want you to be circumcised so they can boast about it and claim you as their disciples. So their motive was all wrong and Paul calls them out. The only reason they really wanted to get these people in Galatia circumcised was so that they could look good back in Jerusalem. That's prideful, Paul says, "Uh uh-uh, no good. So, one more thing. Remember that a gospel-centered life boasts in the cross and not in self. Far be it from me to boast, except, (laughs) except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. And wait, wait, there's still one more thing. Remember that a gospel-centered life treasures Jesus and not the world. Far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. I've been crucified to the world. The world has been crucified to me. It has nothing to to offer me that, that, that will have any benefit spiritually, none whatsoever. And, and, and so 
So I will boast, but only in Jesus, because he alone is my treasure in this life. Would you agree? Furthermore, and there's just one more thing. (laughs) Remember that a gospel-centered life values spiritual transformation, not external ritual. Verse 15, for neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision. Doesn't really matter, Paul says. But a new creation, that's what's really important. And if anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. The old things are gone, passed away. The new things have come. That's what. That's, that's where we center. It, it has to be centered on the cross. This has to be centered on the gospel of grace and the gospel of peace. So Paul's one more thing turned out to be much, much more than we thought it was going to be, right? Kind of like my wife's goodbye when the kids come over for dinner and they're trying to get, escape our house. Oh, one more thing, honey, one more thing. Paul's one more thing is powerful and inspiring and transformative. His teaching is full of hope for us because it's, it's full of the gospel. And, and he ends his letter precisely where he started. No other gospel. There is no other gospel. And that's the entire theme of Galatians. And some of you are saying, whew, we're finally done. Same message every single Sunday out of Galatians. There's no other gospel. Salvation is by God's grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. That's the gospel. And there is no other gospel. By the way, what's the, uh, what's the theme of Galatians? No other gospel. There's no other gospel except the gospel of Jesus Christ. Far be it from me, far be it from us here at the gathering to boast in anyone or anything except the cross of Christ and the gospel of God. We believe the gospel of Jesus and we seek to live out the gospel of Jesus. Because the gospel of Jesus is at the center of all that we are and all that we do and all that we ever hope to be. And the gospel of Jesus changes everything. It changes everything. Therefore, so to the Spirit, my brothers and sisters in Christ, so to the Spirit and not the flesh, so to the Spirit and from the Spirit reap eternal life. Amen.